2018 AA meeting of uh, San Francisco <laughs> trans uh, meeting here at Living Sober. Okay? All right. Uh, I didn't even bring glasses. I didn't know it was going to be this small. Okay, before we begin, please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is an open discussion work meeting. My co me and myself and I will qualify and share for the less, uh, this is all jacked up. Okay, so um, our speakers tonight, this morning, are Robin and Billy. So we're gonna hear some amazing stories of courage, strength, and hope. And um, so, Although this is not a typical meeting format, as you can see, um, we ask that you be respectful of other people's views and opinions as outlined in li Living Sober Policy of Mutual Respect. Also, we ask that you please limit your discussion to the discussion topic. No, you don't have to do that. Um, you can talk about whatever you want. Okay, so let's just start with how it works. Yeah, I have to come up, honey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lurk behind you like Trump. Okay. Rarely have we, oh wait, my name is Eric, I am an alcoholic. Rarely we have seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose, in a general way, what we used to be like, what happened, and what are we like now. If you decided you want what we have and you are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these, we balked. We thought we could not find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is, one ho there is one who has all the power, that one is God. May, he, may you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with, with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery.
Good morning, everybody. My name's Casey. I am an alcoholic. Hi, Casey. I'll try and read these. It's very small print. No, that won't work. Okay. All right. <laughs> we admitted we were, number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless inventory, moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to make, take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principle Principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, and C, that God could and would if he were sought. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so we're just doing this however we want to do it today. So um, we're going to now have Joe read the traditions. Um, my name is Joe, and I'm sober. Uh, these are the 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Number four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, 
to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, each AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholic Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA as such ought never, to, never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Alcoholic Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so at this point, we're going to um, bring up our first speaker, and that would be Robin. Yeah, come on, Robin. Thank you, girl. Thank you, Lauren. Hi, everybody. I am Robin, and I am an addict alcoholic. And I'm going to apologize. Um, uh, I'm going to apologize early for I get really emotional around my sobriety, so I apologize for that. But they're emotions of gratitude and um, tears of joy. So um, I, I am a, a, an, an alcoholic, but I'm also an addict. So I'm sorry. I also am going to apologize for that. Um, drugs are a huge part of my story, so I hope um, I don't offend anybody, and if you don't hear the message from me, hopefully you can hear from somebody else, but my only purpose uh, to be here is to spread the message of AA and uh, reach my hands out to all of you, so here I am, uh, and Lauren, thank you so much for asking. I appreciate your service. So um, I... Um, I, uh, okay, I'm 57 years old. I transitioned five, I started to transition uh, October 14th will be five years. And consequently, October 14th will be five years of continuous sobriety for me this time. Yes, it is a, a, a um, it is the, the thing that saved my life. So I uh, was born in, um, on the East Coast in uh, a small town called Enfield, Connecticut. And um, I knew uh, at a very young age, at three, that I uh, wanted to be a girl. And um, I think that set the motion and the, the path of my destruction because um, 
you know, 55 years ago, there was nothing for young, gender-confused children, and um, and so I was just battered um, from all aspects of every corner, every where I turned. There was just no help for me, and so. Um, I have to say, you know, um, my mom tried the best that she could. You know, she had a sixth grade education. She was a single mother of four, um, and she uh, didn't have the worth all to understand really what was going on. But she did have me see a psychiatrist, and I, I was thinking about this last night. And I don't, th I, you know, I, I, you know, I. At the age of 10, she had me see a psychiatrist, and I was so scared because nobody told me that what I was going through was okay. So I thought I was in trouble. So when I was in the psychiatrist's office, I was scared to tell the truth, right? And so um, I denied everything. And I often wonder, gosh, what would my life have been if I just told the truth? And I guess that's the the, you know, the part of, uh, of my insanity is I, I just never told the truth, right? I, I guess as, as addicts and alcoholics, we understand that, you know, we don't, uh, I understand that I, I, don't, I didn't never told the truth. I was always lying about something. So um, anyway, uh, fast forward. Um, consequently, I moved out on my own when I was um, 14. I started smoking pot and drinking when I was 13. And um, I got my first apartment at 15, and I just was off to the races. Um, so, um, you know, I perpetrated as a gay man. Um, you have a phone call, sweetie. And um, I perpetrated as a, a gay man because I was so tortured uh, for wanting to be a girl that everyone thought I was gay so I thought I guess that must be what I am so I just was perpetrating as a gay man um, so uh, my drug addiction uh, I used to sell THC and acid and pot when I was like 16 and so I used to do acid every day and you know, you know the story, I don't need to go there. And drink like a fish, like I would have a keg in my bathroom and people would come hang out at my house and that's what we did. We hung out and that's what we did in this small town called Broadbrook, Connecticut. So um, consequently, my whole family moved in with me, all my brothers and my sisters, and I was like, oh my God, I moved away from you all. So I moved to the city of Hartford and uh, I went to hairdressing school and the day I graduated hair, hairdressing school, I moved to New York City. And that's where my, my alcoholism, well, just before I moved there, I got into a car accident because I was so drunk. I drank like a gallon of wine and started, was on my way to work. And I smashed a telephone pole and three guardrails. And, um, and I realized, oh my God, like I cannot drive and I'm not ready to stop drinking, so I need to move somewhere where there's the taxis. So I moved to the city. <laughs> the insanity, right? So fast forward, you know, I moved to New York City, oh my God, like in the 80s, you know, it was just on, late 70s, early 80s. I lived there till I was, until uh, 93. And um, my, my life had gotten so uncontrollable that I called my sister one night 
And I said, I can't do it, I'm going to die. And so she sent me a one-way ticket. She was living here because she had gone to Walden House. She was living here. She sent me a one-way ticket. I arrived here at 12 midnight, and I was in program at 5 a.m. in the morning. I woke up. That was the first day um, I went to Walden House, and there was like 30 people in that orientation thing and they said okay everyone go home and call back and when the bed's open I was like oh my god good I haven't slept in a month let me go sleep and they said oh no honey you start today you go in that room and I was like ah! my sister was a, a graduate so she got me in right away and thank god so I completed two-year program and I never addressed the fact uh, of my gender, and um, I had double-digit sobriety, and I relapsed, and um, I had a horrific 10-year relapse, and um, one night, I was with my friend, and uh, we were smoking up a storm and drinking, and just, just like I was lit for the gods, and he had this door, and I was like, what's behind that door, you know, and he opened it up, and it was just drag, from wall to ceiling, floor to ceiling, and wall to wall, and I was like, oh my God, Becky, and we just got dressed in like 10 minutes, and I ran out the door, and uh, we went out dancing, and um, I had my pipe in my pocket, my flask in my, like, you know, garter, and, you know, I was just like, okay, um, and I didn't touch anything for hours, and my friend said, oh my God, you have had a smile on your face, you have been so happy and you haven't touched your stuff in like five hours, what's going on? And I'm like, and I had a breakdown, I had my moment of clarity and I realized that, um, oh my gosh, I will never stay sober until I deal with my, um, my real issue and that was uh, being trans. And so I, um, I was uh, under the covers for like a month, like just totally like distraught because once I started thinking about it, it all came back. Like from age three to, to that moment. And so I, I called my doctor and said, oh my God, I've been on the covers and I, I need to talk to somebody. And, um, and I, you know, um, he set me on my road to recovery. He had me go to, um, uh, to see Dr. Lynn, Royce Lynn. And Royce Lynn, God bless his soul, saved my life. So um, I was, um, I was, uh, I was starting this road, and consequently, I, I, um, I was shooting up heroin, and I, um, I serial converted. I, 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 um, um, I, I became HIV positive uh, at fifty. So um, I was. Um, I was talking to um, my uh, case lo or I don't know, the social worker there, and she said, you're about to embark on the most important thing of your life, and you're shooting heroin and speed. I don't think they go together. And I just was like, oh my god, she's right. And I went home, and I called Walden House, and I went into program two days later. And that was October 14th, five years ago. Okay, thanks. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, you know, I get so emotional when, when I sit in a meeting and they, they, somebody reads how it works because 
it's all there, you know. I mean, you know, rigor, rigorous honesty. I live my life by it today because it's the only thing that saved my life is finally being honest. My journey transitioning has been amazing. Um, it was the piece of the puzzle that was missing. I haven't looked back. I look in the mirror every morning and I say, I love you. And you have become an amazing human being. And you are enough. Because part of my recovery is realizing what is enough today. I never really knew that. I was always wanting more. And today I realize what, through my recovery, what enough is. And that is in all aspects of my life. I, well, I try to be the love that I seek in other people. The change starts with me. And if, if I can't show what I want, then I don't deserve to get it. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense to me. I never say no when it comes to service. I don't care what it is. Um, my life has been so freely and amazingly given back to me since I put down the needle in the bottle. I could not imagine disrespecting it in any way. I think that for me, if I don't try to give it back somewhere, it doesn't mean anything to me. If I could just help one person not have to go through the pain and suffering that I went through, that's my mission in life. It all starts from me. It starts from love. It starts from respect. And um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Robin. That was beautiful. Okay, so now we're moving on, and we're going to bring up the one and only Miss Billy. Come on up. Come on. Hi, my name is Billy, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Billy. And what that means is when I start, I can't stop. Um, I've always been very greedy, always. Uh, there never was enough for me, and I never quite fit in uh, inside myself. Outside, I was doing fine. I've always presented well. I left home at 16. At 18, I was in a dress. And, you know, this was when Lincoln was still alive. <laughs> We're talking about 1959. And um, so um, there were no hormones. There, there were no operations. There was none of that. Um, and you were totally at odds with people, even in your own community. I hung out with a, a, a queen by the name of Margot Howard Howard. She was literally fourth in line to the Earl of Howard. She was trans dom. And um, so uh, we called her Crazy Margot, and there was a reason. And um, she loved Truman Capote. She was on the stroll around the Plaza Hotel, because that's the, all that was available to us at that time, uh, was hooking. And uh, she saw Truman Capote coming out of a cab. She rushed up to him. And, 
gushed all over him, which is not her nature, but she really did like his work. And then she made the mistake of telling him who she was. And he looked at her and said, you're spoiling it for everybody. And she cold cocked him back into the cab. And there was a lot of that in the community. I stopped transitioning because I had no community. There were not a lot of trans people about that you knew about. Um, and um, I had no community. I was out there alone. And, um, you know, you guys are my life. Absolutely. Um, because if I don't have you, I'm alone. You know, and, and that includes the whole community. I had none. So I stopped, you know. Years later, I wind up in San Francisco, you know. And I'm 52 years old. And I've been sober for... 12 years, and uh, suddenly I, I don't want Halloween to stop. You know, for years, Halloween was lovely, you know, and I could be who I was on Halloween, but the rest of the year, no. And I thought that what I did as, as a young, you know, a young kid, I thought that was just a phase. And for some of us, it is. It's something you do it's one way to find your way, you know? And then comes a period you don't need it anymore. You can express yourself in other ways. And so you stop it, you know? And I thought that was my case. So more and more, it became apparent to me that I was like totally pissed off if I couldn't go through the day in a dress. <laughs> something was wrong. I, something was wrong. And, you know, I found myself taking it out on you absolutely so you know um a friend told me the story i don't remember it but i we he lived in the same building and i went up there and i we were having this conversation and i'm like i've got to do this you know i'm 52 years old i'm 77 now and um, i said if i don't do this now i never will you know i got a bus to move i gotta live the way that i want to live that's true and that's right for me Fuck everybody else, do you know? Because you have to say that, because there are always people that are gonna say, you wanna do what? <laughs> They're always lurking about, you know? They don't have a life and they don't want you to have one. And the way that they understand that they uh, don't have a life to keep from understanding that, you know, they will, they will just stand there and say, who do you think you are? You want to do what? And, you know, the, the best thing that you can say to those darling children of God is fuck you and press on. <laughs> do you know? Um, I've learned in the rooms and out of the rooms in life, you don't have to fight with everybody. You've got to learn how to blow kisses, wave, and don't break step. <laughs> you just keep on going, hi, baby, how are you? But from the other side of the room, you know, and um, I, I, I used to feel put upon, you know, because of my issues, right? And because of non-acceptance. But, you know, I, I came in and I got into the literature and it says, you know, we want to stay out of this controversy, talking about sex. And I realized, 
you know, oh, that's lovely. It doesn't matter. Whatever I'm doing, whoever I am, as long as I'm there and I want to stay sober, come on in. And then it says, we all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. And I thought about it, and I thought, straight people have sex problems? It never occurred to me. Do you understand? And I began to look at it. And you know, the way it was at that time, if you weren't having uh, sex with your wife in the missionary position, you know, you could go to jail in 28 states and you could go to hell in all 50. And I thought, straight people don't have it any harder than I do. You know, they got their problems too. You know, get over your cheap self and move along. I did, I did the steps um, because my sponsor kept on saying, you know, I want you to have the gift because there is a gift there if you do them. And um, first off, you exchange negative for positive thinking. And instead of seeing, you know, shit coming at you, you see good stuff. And, you know, we're human beings, and part of our gift is we have the ability to bless and curse. And, you know, if I curse the world, I'm cursing myself. If I bless you, I'm blessing myself. And um, so the, um, what the steps did for me, they helped me join the human race. Because until then, I wasn't really sure I wanted to deal with you motherfuckers. Do you know? Because it was all about me and my appetites. You know, and your job was to give me what I wanted, you know. And um, I never knew about courage or the grandeur of being a human being uh, until I came into these rooms and people were dying. And I saw people keep the faith. They were dying, they knew it, there was no answer, but they didn't go out. And they still went to meetings and they didn't hide. And, and I, I watched people who were terribly disfigured by the disease come into meetings and everybody hugged them. And I learned what love was from that. And um, I, I love the program. And you know, uh, gratitude was not my mother's milk. I was not raised on it. So naturally, I go through periods where I'm in tight with everybody and everything, and then there's times that I'm sort of wandering off. And instead of getting, you know, what I should, uh, I get less meetings. And that's really dangerous for me because it's not the drinking that scares me. I have no desire to but it's the thinking. I'm still a twisted sister, I just don't drink. You're never gonna look up on a wall and see my picture and have it say, this is what mental health looks like. <laughs> I, I don't care how long you hold your breath, it's not gonna happen. But you know, um, if I hang around you guys, I've got balance, I've got perspective, life looks good. And I don't believe the shit that's going on in my head. Because Mrs. Bates is up there in the fruit cellar, <laughs> right between my ears, you know, waiting for me not to get enough meetings 
so that, you know, I can start saying things like, after all I've done for these people, no one knows how I suffer. Nobody loves me. And all that, and I, it's always there, but then I start to believe it if I don't hang around with you guys. I, I owe you my life. Literally, I owe you my life because I never truly was alive until I got here. And I would never have transitioned if I hadn't been sober. I would never have had the courage. You know, uh, we're amazing people. N nobody here is a bad person. We're not bad people. We're so idealistic that when we find out what the world is and what the people in it are, it breaks our heart. And I've had to learn how to live with a broken heart and not hurt myself or anybody else. And if I do that, it's not such a bad world after all. And I've learned to be very grateful that I don't get my own way. You know, I mean, my picker is busted. My first couple of years, I had to watch Cops in America's Most Wanted religiously every Saturday night to see if my old boyfriends had new tattoos. My picker is busted, do you know? And I let God choose for me because that way, you know, it'll turn out better. And I won't have to say, Oh, nobody knows how I suffer. Oh, it's just awful what they're doing to me. Oh, you know. Part of my disease is paranoia. A big part of it always was, even before I started drinking, and it, and it was the answer. And I'm not going to tell you I didn't have some fabulous times I did, but it stopped working. It's just that simple, you know. Uh, I'm not a bad person. This is not a moral issue, and. I'm a sick person getting well, you know? And I need to, I need you. I'm so sorry, I need you skanky motherfuckers, I really do. You're all the difference in the world in my life to me. Just the fact that you're here and I can see you and I can hug you and I can talk to you, you know? I thank you for my life. I thank Alcoholics Anonymous for my life because um, I'm here against all odds. I'm sober against all odds. I should be dead or drunk. And today I'm not, and it's all your fault. Thank you. Well, that was amazing. Thank you so much. You know, I forgot a really important part, and that is um, to see, do we have any newcomers here? Any newcomers? Okay, because we, you know, that's why we're here, right? So, um, so any visitors? Any visitors? Hey. Welcome. What's your name again? Thank you. the other question. Hi. Yeah. Uh, hey. 
do we have any others? Yeah. Lots of visitors, welcome. Um, do we have any anniversaries? Any anniversaries, any birthdays? No? Yeah? Ooh. Happy birthday. Yay. In two weeks, no, yeah, in two weeks I'll have five years, but I can't. I'm not supposed to, you know, in two weeks, right? That's how it works. We don't celebrate in advance, right? No, we don't. We do not. No, we don't. No, I know how it works. I know how it works. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Thank you. And um, so let's, uh, how much time do we have? Like, let's do shares from the floor um, for like 10 minutes. And then who's going to read the promises? Rayman will read the promises. And then we'll go out with a prayer of Robin's choice when we're ready. Okay, so let's share from the floor. We're going to share from the floor the topic. Who wants to pick the topic? Me pick the topic? Um, I will. <laughs> um, let's see. That's perfect. You start, baby. <laughs> you start. Come up. Yeah, we share from up here. We want to hear you, baby. Everyone takes a yeah, come up when you're um, My name's Sky. I'm an alcoholic. I'm also um, a member of other 12-step programs because it takes a lot to keep me sober. Um, I am very grateful to be here. I'm very grateful that there is a room like this and that we can come to, um, come together in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it's very important to me to... Um, witness the miracles within our own community. Um, being trans in recovery is, um, sometimes it's lonely, I just wanna say. You know, sometimes I go to meetings and I'm the only one that I can see, um, and that might just be because I can't clock anybody else, and <laughs> I'll write for those people, <laughs> you know what? It's just, but you know, it's, sometimes it's lonely. I feel like, you know, how can I connect? And I have to find other ways to connect to people. I have to connect to other, um, to other people in Alcoholics Anonymous by um, being sober, by being human, you know, by being willing, you know, by being open-mindedness, and you know, not just because I'm trans. But it's always great to see a fellow walk in the room and know and um, that they're that they're wanting to put the bottle down, you know, and that they're that I'm able to be there to represent the fact that we don't have to pick up, that we don't have to drink in order to deal with our issues, that there's other coping skills, and that we're able to have a life of quality 
um, a life of love, a life of acceptance, um, a life that is worthy of what I've always thought that I wasn't worth. You know, my self-worth was dependent upon others. My self-worth, um, I don't even think it was, I mean, I'm here saying self-worth. I don't even had, I didn't have any of that, you know? It wasn't, it just wasn't what I was told that I was going to amount to anything. Um, and, and the opportunities that was out there, like for jobs, getting fired at work, having to result to survival sex, you know, to make money, to pay ends meet, um, having friend, you know, just with using, you know, that's all I knew, that's all that was around. And it's really moving to see and to be able to work in this community of how the younger generation is not hearing um, as much as what we heard when we were younger. And, you know, going to school, going back, getting education. Um, you know, I was able to do that in sobriety. Um, and it was amazing to be able to experience going to college, like, and to feel accepted and not being bullied like I was in high school, you know, a dropout like me to go, to go back to school, and that wouldn't have been worth it, you know, unless I was in AA. Um, to have a sense of community, to have a sense of friends. Um, two years ago, I had brain surgery. There, I had a tumor that was, um, oh, my time's up? Okay. Just saying that, you know, um, I relied on these rooms to help me. They came together and was there to support me. Um, and helped me make sure that I took my medication, that I got fed, that, I mean, they were my nurses, my friends, and my support system, my family. And I would have never have had that support if I wasn't in AA. So AA is so much um, worth more to me than just meetings and my sobriety. It's given me family, it's given me a sense of community, it's given me my self-worth, it's given me love, and I'm so appreciative to be trans in recovery. Thank you. I'm Bobby, and I'm an addicted alcoholic from El Paso, Texas, and I am overwhelmed with the transgender community here in, in San Francisco. In this, in this whole thing, I'm just, I, um, it, it's really in my heart, because in El Paso, there's no LGBTQ meetings for sober people, uh, so I'm, um, I'm very active in the straight AA. And let me tell you, this is what you get. If you go to El Paso and you ask for Bobby, they'll know. Because I, I go to every meeting in town and I share the, uh, last year we had the Jamboree, which is just like this. And I was the chairperson of the straight AA. And I represent, and, and, and I'm, I, I was contrary to your story, Robin. Um, my, my story is a prison. I did 13 years off and on taking this till the wheels fell off. And when I got out of prison in 2003, I walked out of there in Texas, they shaved your head. So I walked out of there bald. My hair was, I'm, I'm fabulous, your hair is just gorgeous, but you know, I, that's my past and I, I, I commend the beauty. And so I walked out bald and I said, well, I can't be 
a trans woman anymore because I was a person of the street, which got me into all these predicaments with drinking and drugging and heroin. And, and so um, I had to make a decision and I, um, I said, maybe if I stop being a woman, I can go stay sober. And so I struggled. I got out of prison. I went and bought men's clothes, and, and I was going to start a new life, and I was not happy. I was at that jumping-off place, but not in, in, for the big book. I was in that jumping-off place like, well, what am I? And so this guy came up to me, a straight guy, and uh, I walked into the meeting, and first of all, we didn't work on my, my gender issue. I worked on my institutionalism. I was institutionalized. I couldn't look anybody in the eye. I couldn't touch nobody. I wouldn't smile. I was just like, <laughs> because that's what you do in prison. And so we worked on that. And then that helped me accept myself as transgender. And so little by little, and then finally the guy said, you know what, we're not going to work on your sobriety. You're not drinking now, but you have other issues so you can get to the sobriety part. And I didn't understand. and. He just knew what I was going through. And um, I decided, well, I don't have to dress as slutty as I used to. I can just be a normal girl, you know, a normal woman. And, um, and so I'm 61 years old, and I got sober at 45. And I, um, I struggled liking that new person, which is what you see here, because I was lacking my long hair and my little, 10-inch heels or 9-inch heels or whatever I wore. And this new person that I became, the program of AA transformed me into this new loving person. I can love myself and love you guys. Thank you so, so much. everyone. My name's Erica, as you know. Um, so I'm 51 years old. Um, and um, this journey is my second journey, my second attempt at it. And this experience for me has been so different from the first time that I tried to get sober. And um, I don't know, I, I mean, being this time, I get to reflect on my life. And um, oh, see, I'm going to start crying. Um, and um, I look back, and um, back then, I mean, if you knew me back then, Anna knows me, I mean, I always looked fabulous, and that was like my armor, but inside, you know, I didn't really like myself. I wasn't, I didn't feel I was good enough. Um, I didn't feel that I, you know, um, deserved anything good enough, so... I would do the alcohol, the drugs, and just be dressed to the tens, looking fabulous, but inside was an empty shell. And now, because of this program, I have a different kind of love for myself that um, I really never knew existed. And um, I'm very grateful for this program. It really saved my life. And Anna, my roommate, she gives me life. She gives me life every day. Um, but yes, this program really saved my life. And I don't see myself doing anything else but what I do now. 
I'm very happy. And that's all I got. Thank you. Y'all can hear me, right? Yeah. yeah. I've been recorded enough, but okay, fine. Can you hear me? Okay. I'm verse. I can go either way. I don't mind. Uh, my name is Anna, and I'm a cross-addicted alcoholic. <laughs> um, transit in recovery. Um, I'm somewhat of a late bloomer. I transitioned when I was 19. I come from a very uh, religious background, and like many of us have shared, I always heard that if you were different, you were never, you weren't entitled to a good life. You weren't entitled to anything that normal people had. And for, I guess, for a long time, I bought into that and I lived my life accordingly. Um, after I transitioned, I was diagnosed with HIV, and I, for a long time, thought that was God's way of punishing me for being myself. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much because I want to uh, stick with the topic of recovery because, like many people have also shared, I am so grateful for these rooms. Uh, these rooms saved my life many times. It took many times because I am stubborn as all hell. And um, it was also hard because even after I transitioned, I didn't fit in with those around me. Uh, for the ones that know me, I'm very tomboyish. I'm uh, sexually fluid. And, um, you know, that was somewhat normal amongst other trans women where I came from in LA. But when I moved to San Francisco, it was not accepted, it wasn't, um, it was hard because I was still very young and there were all these other trans women that I looked up to because I never had that around me and um, I was never even good enough for them. You know, a lot of them would tell me awful things like you're just a boy in a dress. It felt like Tu Wong Fu, it was like trauma. <laughs> um, but, I will say that once I started drinking and using, things got even worse because I accepted the life that I had at that time. And um, I thought love came with conditions, even amongst my people, even amongst my community. It's like, yes, you're my friend, but in a second, you're gonna rob me or sleep with my husband, and that's normal. That's what I get for, you know, for being who I am, and that's, all I'm entitled to. Um, it took many times and many tries. Um, this is my first time trying a 12-step program. Um, I have a little bit over four years, and I owe it to these rooms. Um, this room uh, recovery has taught me to, um, I hear that. Uh, these rooms have taught me to love myself, but also that I don't have to show love by being catty. Because that's another thing that I think is important is when I grew up here in the city with all other trans folks, it was um, we showed love in like a, a vicious kind of violent way, 
And for me, I strive every day to show my sisters, my brothers, um, love in a non-catty way because I don't have to be like that. I can be genuine and I can show you that I love you by supporting you and you know helping you be the best that you can be. Because when I'm able to do that, I'm able to, to do that for myself. I love being clean. I love being sober. I love all of you. I love meeting you sisters and brothers from out of town. I'm gonna to give you my number so we can stay in touch because you're not alone. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that was so amazing. And this has been an, a wonderful meeting. So great. I like that it was all over the place, actually. We should do all meetings this way. <laughs> all right. So um, we will have Joe Raymond read the promises. Come on up. I'm an alcoholic and addict. Thanks so much for the powerful share. It's really great. Uh, the ninth step promises, we are if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will all materialize if we work for them. Okay, so that's pretty much almost all the time we have. So I want to um, thank our visitors. Um, and I'm sorry I didn't write everyone's name. I pretended that I did, but I didn't. Um, no, I wrote a, no, I wrote a couple, but I couldn't hear everybody because my ears plugged. Um, and so yeah, welcome um, everyone. And Um, to the birthday folks, we have Raymond and Danny. Happy birthday. Um, we didn't have any newcomers, but um, we always think of them and they're in our thoughts. And um, thank, thank you for being here today. And um, Robin will take us out with a prayer of her choice. And thank you to our speakers. Both of you, Billy and Robin, amazing. Thank you. Sure. Oh, yeah, announcements, announcements. We have time for that. <laughs>